Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi, I'm Don Payne. I'm glad to be your host for Engage 360. Uh, by this time in our podcast history, our I probably need to give you a little bit of perspective, maybe some visual perspective, because uh, each week, if you're with us each week or whenever you're with us, uh, you hear us coming to you from what is the famous DNR sound booth. Now, the DNR sound booth stands for the Don and Rob sound booth because Rob Foley, our dean of students, and I built this sound booth in my garage. And um, despite the fact that our provost, Dr. Koik, has basically questioned my character for wanting first billing in that acronym, uh, we did build most of it in my garage and we hauled most of it with my truck. So I'm going to shamelessly accept. Um, first billing in the DNR sound booth, which actually sits inside the Denver Seminary recording studio, which if uh, even if you are uh, on campus or close to the Littleton campus, you probably couldn't find it. It's at a sort of an undisclosed, maybe highly classified location, kind of like NORAD and Cheyenne Mountain. Um, so you probably couldn't find the sound booth uh, or the recording studio, but you can find us on the Denver Seminary website and the Denver Seminary Facebook page, as well as your favorite podcast platform. So we hope you'll do that. You'll see some pictures there of our various guests. And if you get a chance and are interested, email us, podcast at denverseminary.edu. So this week, um, we've got another exciting topic to talk about. Over the past 30 years or so across the U.S. and in uh, several Western countries, several other Western countries, people in a variety of sectors of society have been scrambling to recover a lost art, a lost practice that's left a, a lingering and a deepening deficit in both personal and community life. And this, um, this lost art is not the art of writing a unicycle or origami uh, or writing in cursive. This lost art is mentoring the art of mentoring. Uh, mentoring's often been viewed over these past 30 years as something of a passing fad, but we still see mentoring initiatives continue to receive attention and funding in the public sector, the government sector, and in nonprofit sectors. Uh, a little bit of history of this concept of mentoring, a lot of people know the word, but they don't know where it came from. It actually comes from Greek mythology. Uh, Homer's Odyssey, is the story of King Odysseus who went away to war, and when he did, he left his young son Telemachus in the care of his friend whose name was Mentes. And it was Mentes' job to bring young Telemachus up into the ways of adulthood. And from, that, from this ancient tale in Greek mythology, we get what we now call this concept of mentoring, where a person perhaps of uh, greater age or experience or our expertise invests in someone who needs what the mentor has. Now, over the last 20 years uh, or so, or 20 years plus, Denver Seminary took the bold and rather vanguard step of placing mentoring in its core curriculum. And in those 20 years, uh, the seminary and its mentoring personnel have provided uh, consultations and training and materials for seminaries and other organizations around the nation and in several cases internationally. So we have some leading experts in the field here 
this week to help us understand this vital endeavor, this mentoring endeavor, and why it's so important and how to do it. So I'm honored to welcome uh, my friends and colleagues from the uh, mentoring department at Denver Seminary. Uh, First of all, Professor Laura Flanders, who is um, the chair of the mentoring curriculum at Denver Seminary. Uh, Prior to Laura's arrival at Denver Seminary in 2005, she spent her career in national industry nonprofit management in the area of leadership development and training, uh, actually with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So for those of you who know the concept of a life verse, Laura's life verse is beef. It's what's for dinner. Very good. I know. I'm enjoying this I just love that line. But I have not yet formally welcomed you to the podcast, so please. Let me finish. (laughs) All right. Uh, In addition to raising their two now adult children, Laura and her husband Dale served in uh, pastoral ministry for uh, 24 years, the last 10 of those in church planting. Uh, She also consults for businesses, nonprofits, and churches in the Denver area. Laura graduated from Seattle Pacific University with a BA from Denver Seminary with an MA in leadership. She is an avid gardener. I might even say a neurotic or obsessive gardener and enjoys hiking and kayaking. Okay, thanks. Uh, Golfing and eating a home-cooked meal with others. Uh, Our other mentoring professor here is Professor Deborah Anderson, who received her B.A. in creative writing from California State University, Long Beach, and M.A. in Christian education from Golden Gate Theological Seminary. She and her husband, Chip, have served in pastoral ministry and in church planting. She is a conference speaker, a Bible teacher, a theological researcher, and has written numerous articles and ghost writes for popular Christian authors. Now, if she, if she could tell you what she has ghostwritten, it would no longer be ghostwriting. So she can't speak about it, like we can't right. tell you the undisclosed location of the Denver Seminary Sound Booth. Just like this room. Just like this room. Um, however, you have probably read her stuff and did not know that you were reading her stuff. Uh, she previously served uh, with the training and mentoring department here at Denver Seminary as a formation group mentor. And off campus... Uh, I see that she is teaching her teens to drive, serves on a Cub Scout committee, and hikes with Chip. I welcome, do. Deborah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Well, and welcome, Laura, too. I didn't welcome you, so <laughs> welcome, Laura. I'm not offended. Okay, good. Our third <laughs> mentoring professor and our guest today is Dan Steiner. Dan joined the uh, mentoring department as a mentoring professor in 2016. He spent 13 years working in churches in Oregon and Colorado with leadership experience in youth ministry, small group ministry, preaching, teaching, mentoring, and leadership development. Dan does a lot of work in the area of vocation, calling for, uh, for ministry applications both inside and outside uh, church contexts. Uh, Dan and his wife Anna have uh, three kids, Josiah, Micah, and Cambria. And Dan is a really good photographer. Uh, in fact, one of, his, uh, one of his pictures hangs framed in my house. It does. It does. It's still there. And it, well, you don't know that, but I, <laughs> yes, it, it is still there. Uh, Dan received a BA in youth ministry from Western Baptist College, which is now Corbin University, and his MDiv and his THM from Denver Seminary. And Dan is one of the many people around the Littleton campus who make me feel really short. So he's one of the, uh, there's this host of really tall people we have around here. And I hate to say, Dan rocks a superb beard. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Actually, all three of these people, it occurs to me, have spent significant time in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's now right. that you stop and think about it. Really put that yeah. And so by this time, you're, I suppose you're dried out and 
got a little bit of tan to your skin. So anyway, welcome to our three mentoring professors, Laura Flanders, Dan Steiner, Deborah Anderson. We're glad y'all are here for the podcast to Engage 360. Thank you, Don. Glad to be here. Good to be here. Good. All right, I want you each, each to take uh, uh, a minute or two and tell us first just a little bit about your own background, your own journey, and how you got involved in mentoring in the way that you are. Laura, you're first. I get to start. You're the chief, so you get well, to go you, first. Well, you've given a little bit of my bio, so I'm going to... I'm going to start by telling you that I'm involved in the mentoring in the way that I am professionally because of my own mentored life and the mentors that I've had. Uh, I think it's safe to say that mentoring can sound like a really big word. And so I like to invite people to talk about the people who've just simply had a, a kind influence in their life so that they can identify those mentors that they've had, even if they didn't use that big word. So I want to talk about my, uh, my grandma Rose. I won't talk long. But uh, she is the one that helped me become one of the, what did you call me, a crazy gardener or whatever? A neurotic gardener, a neurotic I think, gardener. or obsessive yeah, gardener, something know. like that. Grandma Rose uh, taught me about how to learn and how to ask questions and how to be okay with failure, how to grieve when something doesn't grow. Uh, she was a kind presence to me in all of that and taught me that life has its ups and downs and it has its things to celebrate. And she didn't even know she was doing that. Uh, but that's where I think how m my career in mentoring started with my grandma Rose. And I think it's really smart to go back into our lives and identify those people and name them as our mentors, even if we never use that word. So that's how my career got started was with my grandma. What a great story. And I love that I her name that. was Grandma Rose Gardner. You know, isn't that so? It took me a while to get that, but. Yeah, but I got it. You got it. Yeah, that's what a great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, but professionally speaking, uh, when I was working in leadership development, became more and more clear to me that this need for um, interdependence was at play. Even for the cattlemen that I got to meet working with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, just the interdependence of the work that they do as cattlemen um, on on the ranch and also with one another in their counties and their states and the need that they had for each other in order to do their work well and to be the good businessmen and women, even though it was called the Cattlemen's Association. There were men and women in the field and still are to this day. But just watching how they operate with one another, they couldn't do their work without each other. Mm. So that influenced me quite a bit. I love what you said about mentoring mm. or some mentors not even knowing they're doing it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We may want to come back to that. Yeah, we yeah. might want to. Thanks for that. Dan. Yeah, I came to Denver Seminary after some years of pastoral ministry experience and came because of the training and mentoring curriculum that was here, uh, came to realize that I had experienced quite a bit of mentoring previously, but it was a certain sort of mentoring. And as I engaged the training and mentoring part of the degree program here, I learned about a much broader view of mentoring. Um, I had experienced a lot of top-down mentoring and then was exposed to this idea of uh, self-directed, mentee-driven, where I can identify what I need to grow in and go out and seek out mentors that can help help me grow in those ways, viewing, viewing mentors uh, kind of like a, you would view books in a library and, and recognizing different people can provide significant learning experiences to help, help me grow. And so my vision of, of what mentoring can be was expanded in a significant way. Uh, and as I came as a student and experienced that, I, I had no idea that would ultimately lead to uh, a position here at Denver Seminary. Now being in that role, facilitating that, 
process for other students. Um, so now I get a chance to help sit with them and help them expand their vision of what's possible in the world of mentoring. Not that we shouldn't have people that are directing us at times, but there are so many different forms of mentoring that we can and should engage uh, based upon the circumstances of our lives and the, the needs for growth that we have at any given moment. Mm. Mm. Thanks. Deborah. how about you? Yeah, mine dovetails a bit with Laura in that my mentoring experiences are what um, led me to this room to talk to you today as a part of this team. Um, I've had mentors that have been both formal and informal. Uh, f family member for me as well. My mother's sister has been a lifelong mentor for me as a competent, creative, thoughtful woman in ministry. I don't call her my mentor. I call her my aunt. Hmm. But, um, but she's played that role for me in an informal way. Um, but formally, I've had mentors, too, uh, in college when I was part of our student ministry on campus. My campus ministry directors formally mentored me at regular days and times with certain ideas and ways they wanted to see me grow and ways that I asked them how I could grow better. Uh, and then that also, I've, been, I've also been mentored professionally uh, by the former director of training and mentoring who uh, gave me an opportunity to use some of my stronger skills and to cut my teeth on curriculum design and leading students in their own formation. And that has led me to this place today where I get to work with students directly one-on-one -on -one, uh, in a broader way. Each of you have, have made some comments that I want to loop back to at, at some points during this conversation. Um, but first, I, you know, I came across a piece a few years ago from the Harvard Business Review uh, from 2008, actually. And the article was entitled, Why Mentoring Matters in a Hyper-Competitive World. And this was obviously coming from the public sector. Um, but even at that time, uh, lots of attention was, be, was being given to the importance of mentoring as it was being discovered in lots of different sectors of our society. And they... They take note of how improving mentoring programs uh, can help uh, younger employees, younger workers uh, be part of a team, increase the likelihood of their loyalty to a firm, things like that. So they're identifying some very specific deliverables and outcomes. But from, from your own experience, personally and professionally, give us, uh, give us a sense of why this is so crucial and why so many people in so many sectors are giving the kind of attention to mentoring that they are. What, what's the need? What's the itch that this is scratching? I think that mentoring uh, is really leadership development in relationship. Um, I see every student here as a leader, but we all can benefit from this uh, as the leaders in our various contexts in our lives. And so uh, mentoring gives us that space to discover something about ourselves, to discover something about the world and how we impact it, how we fit into it. So when we don't have that capacity, uh, I've actually read recently that we are six times more likely to derail in our leadership uh, for not having that capacity to know who we are and how we affect the world. So, uh, so mentoring actually becomes an important tool for leaders in all contexts. So I see that as an important point. How does it, how do you think it, helps people see themselves for who they are. That sounds like an important feature that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Mentors help us. Um, mentors hold up a mirror for us so that we can see 
what is more true about us than what our opinions might say about us. And so um, when they do that, we have this capacity to, uh, to reflect on our past of ineffectiveness and yet move more toward how can we keep learning so that we don't repeat certain habits, patterns, behaviors, thoughts, actions. Okay, okay. we tend to recycle ourselves yeah. Yeah. without something to bump us off. And I'll, I'll add to that. Um, you've heard me say, I'll probably make my colleagues' eyes roll in the back of their head, but uh, you can't learn unless an assumption's been tested. Mm. And sometimes when assumptions assumption has been tested, we get the freedom to still hold on to it. We find that it's true and right and still worthy of being held on to. Um, and that empowers us to move forward with that assumption. But it also in, um, obliges us to it as well and makes us responsible to it um, in an increased way because it's been tested. But I think more often than not, in that relationship with those questions being asked and uh, those challenges and when that assumption gets tested, we have to either slightly alter it or radically alter it and to do that outside of a relationship without someone alongside us who we trust um, I'm not sure we would have the courage to actually mm -hmm. do the work of of altering our assumptions so that we're changed and so that we do things differently so I'm just that just as a jumping off yeah. point from what Deborah mm -hmm. was yeah. saying no. mentoring I I've heard you say Don that we can't theologically reflect apart from community would you, I guess I would I agree with you that right? if I said that. Yes. Did you say that? Um, maybe you were you were quoting someone maybe else I, yeah, when I you said been. it. I could have been <laughs> but, quoting Dan um, for all I know. I you know I I don't know how we can disagree with that because the DNA of Scripture is relational. Yeah. And we're made in the image of God, and God is a relational being. Yeah. The interdependence of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think we can grow and change without one another. Um, I might be overstating it because I don't think mentoring is everything or it's nothing. I could also be right. quoting well, you as well. Let's talk about that a little bit because in the kind of weaving through a lot of your comments so far are some assumptions about what mentoring is. But it strikes me that mentoring does not mean the same thing to everybody or in every context. Um, there, there are, I think, a lot of different, sometimes maybe almost incompatible definitions of mentoring floating around. So can you help us distill this a little bit into what some workable maybe proper definitions of mentoring are, at least as, as we're trying to do it here and as you see that really being effective with people? Yeah, I've got, um, there's a phrase that I've picked up in, in a recent mentoring book that came out in the past couple of years. Uh, the book is called uh, Mentoring Biblical, Theological, and Practical Perspectives. And one of the contributors, uh, Katie Cannon, describes mentoring as embodied mediated knowledge embodied mediated knowledge and there's something about that embodied term that I think is really valuable in a mentoring relationship especially in a, a day and age where everything or so many aspects of our lives are digitally mediated our relationships are digitally mediated and this is not to slight FaceTime Skype other ways in which we can connect and, and move on to other forms of, of typed mediated interactions, but there's something about physically being in the same room with somebody, looking eyeball to eyeball, or as we describe it, breathing the same air, where you are responsible to somebody else in the moment. You, you are being challenged as an assumption is tested. You have to do something with it, and that can be uncomfortable. That can be difficult, but that can also be incredibly formational as you're accountable to this, this relationship. There's somebody else there that is encouraging you, challenging you, pushing you stirring you to something else, something different. 
so that embodiment is a, a the embodied interaction is is a really important aspect of mentoring especially in our culture regardless of whether it's a faith-based or non-faith-based context there's something about that relationality that I believe is critical for a, a healthy and effective mentoring relationship and one of the words that we use in training and mentoring is intentionality so it's not only embodiment but there's an intentional pursuit towards something yes. right yes. yeah we so we tell students over and over again intentionality you're gonna hear that word from us until you get sick of it but mentoring involves its relational, embodied relational experience towards something, towards the pursuit it, of growth and transformation. So I can't call all my friendships that. Yeah. I how, can't. How does mentoring relate to another very popular emphasis on coaching? Mm. Well, Are these just synonyms? Here, no. Here, well, here at Denver Seminary, when we educate our students on the different forms, I'm going to jump off of something that Dan was just saying. There's all these different kinds of forms of mentoring. Uh, we use mentoring as an umbrella term that, um, and we have a very baseline definition that allows all the different forms, all the different forms honors that baseline definition. And so coaching is just one form of mentoring out of many. Okay. So there are sometimes more directive forms of mentoring, sometimes less directive forms of mentoring. Exactly. More mutuality. Less mutuality. It can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, sometimes in certain forms, the intentionality comes for the, for more from the mentor than it does from the mentee. Uh, the shared learning is going to change from form to form. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we don't we don't say that you know spiritual direction is different than mentoring, or mentoring is different than counseling. Counseling, spiritual direction, coaching apprenticeship are different forms of mentoring okay, and they so all have the some level of term. intentionality okay. involved okay. towards pursuit of some type of growth or transformation. Okay. Is that okay. fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Over, over the last 20 years or so since Denver Seminary began this really uh, intentional emphasis on mentoring, lots of seminaries around the country have, uh, have emphasized mentoring in some form what is it? I'll, I'll give you a chance to toot your own horn here for a, a moment. What is it that distinguishes Denver Seminary's approach to mentoring from all the other things that are done in this arena, particularly in higher theological education? Yeah, I can speak to this because I did not do my seminary degree here at Denver Seminary, so I had a different experience in that um, we took a year of mentored learning that looked more like a, a multifaceted internship. It's really complex with a lot of different layers. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with a supervisor, and he was my primary mentor, as we would call him, and gave me feedback on my learning goals. I brought my own questions to a, a spiritual mentor, we called it, to talk about my personhood, my issues of character. And then I also created a peer council that gave me feedback on how I impacted my area of ministry as they saw it. Uh, so had the opportunity for a lot of feedback, but that whole opportunity was really based around primarily learning how to do something. Uh, we did talk about character, but it felt like a secondary piece of it. And we flipped that on its head. We start with who you are. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't talk about professional skill and have students engage in that. They do, but we begin with who are you in Christ uh, before we uh, before we say what are you to do in the world. So our work will certainly come out of who we are, but it can't be separated 
from We it. always bring so. ourselves with us, mm-hmm. don't we, as they say in, I think, AA. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like what we, the way that we uh, incorporate that into our curriculum here really feels like we're enacting a theology. We're not just writing reports here. Uh, we're, we're engaging in a theology in the whole of our life about how it is that we are formed. I think another distinctive, uh, and, and I know this having interacted with um, some of our peers in different institutions and the challenge of, of this being an academic endeavor and there's academic credit attached to it. So how do you assess a grade? How do you, how do you assess how a student did or did not perform? How effective were they? And when you're helping somebody grow in matters of personal character, that can be a difficult, if not impossible, task of assessing how somebody grew in compassion or generosity. Um, and so the, the developmental aim of our mentoring curriculum is that students would grow in their adult learning skills as they're discerning their formation needs and they're developing these learning plans, they're engaging the learning plans and then reflecting on it. It's this process, a very intentional process, that we can then not just assess a grade for the sake of assessing a grade, but it gives the students anchor holds to identify beyond just, well, I feel like I'm less patient or I feel like I'm more patient, but here are tangible tools that I now have that I can take with me for the rest of my life to continue on in my mentored formation beyond just seminary. It's an equipping process, not just for the time in seminary, but hopefully for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So what... What would what are some of the outcomes or the deliverables that you've seen? Maybe give us a quick anecdote or two of how you've seen mentoring actually be productive, be fruitful, be transformative in people's lives. What are some deliverables? I'm going to jump off uh, a little bit from what Dan was just saying and talk about okay. four uh, deliverables that I think my colleagues know I'm about ready to talk about. Is that fair to talk about those four? But um, we, one of the, there's four words that we tell students we are wanting to see them grow in, and they're words that we call adult learning skills. So these, these are deliverables. Um, is the student, when they're getting ready to graduate, ha- or have they been given an opportunity to learn how to better discern learning goals so that when they're in a time of change or leadership and something new has happened, are they going to be able to figure out what it is they need to learn in that moment? Um, are they then able to figure out the practicalities towards that learning goal of how they could go about learning it? So learning tools that they need in order to move towards that learning goal. Um, can they manage themselves in a learning experience that they've created for them for themselves? And uh, Professor Anderson talks about this a lot. Can students better reflect on what they do so that formation occurs? Because uh, you really can't learn without reflection. So if those four things, we see, we see those outcomes. Now, we don't, we don't work to measure them. We don't do a Likert scale <laughs> uh, to measure them, but we see those in their last mentor team meeting. We see those things happening in students' lives where they're better able to do those four things. I'm sure you guys have something to add. Give us a, give us a quick story yeah. or two of yeah, how Dan you've seen this one. happen. <laughs> I, I have my coffee mug here, and for our listeners, they can't see this, so I'll say what is on the mug. It says, trust the process. This was actually a gift given to me by one of my students in their final summative experience. Uh, and as the student reflected on their overall mentored experience at Denver Seminary, they shared how they came in very resistant to this mentored life and this idea of identifying matters of personal character and professional skill to grow in alongside a mentor and had to engage the part of the curriculum because they couldn't graduate without it, did so reluctantly. But by the time they got through to the end of the process, 
came to value this so much so that they the student wanted to just continue on in their own life, but also leave a memento for me to have <laughs> in my office to show any other resistant students trust the process because it's worth it. And it's something yeah. we can't we can't control. We're really trusting this is in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit, but we create an environment and a curriculum that gives students tracks to run on. And it is a process, and we see so many students come to the outs come to the end of it saying, wow, I have grown in so many ways, and I have a vision for this sort of a life beyond seminary. This is not just something in the yeah. past, it's, but it's, it's for the rest scary, of my it's life. It's scary for students to take responsibility for their own learning, and that's what we're requiring. Yeah, because we this don't, is a very different form of learning. We don't vet their context that they're going to learn in. They have to vet it. We don't choose their mentors and assign their mentors. They need to choose those mentors. We provide orientation for them. But this student had her resistance, his, his or her resistances were all about the fears associated with learning and the responsibilities that we have towards mm-hmm. that end. Mm-hmm. So trust the process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in some mentoring experiences I've seen, um, something you mentioned, Dan, has been repeatedly true, and that is that what people envisioned at the outset of a mentoring relationship was quite different from what they actually experienced at the end of it because you can't really predict or manipulate those specific mm-hmm. outcomes. You can only mm-hmm. create, what was your language? You can create certain conditions. There's a framework, some yeah, tracks you create to create a run framework on, where the environment. Right, yeah, where the right kinds of things can happen. And then you, well, to tr- to uh, go with your coffee cup, we trust the process, right? Let's uh, kind of stretch this beyond uh, mentoring as it looks like here at Denver Seminary and think about it in other contexts, church contexts, public sector contexts. Um, you know, if, if somebody is looking to start something in their realm of mentoring, a mentoring program, a mentoring process, what do you think are some of the basic do's and don'ts for that? Or what, what tips would you give them for how to get started in doing something that's going to be sustainable in a mentoring process? First thing I would suggest, if you are looking for a mentor, perhaps that's a position that you're in, um, consider your own strengths. Assess your own strengths before you begin to evaluate who the mentors are around you. I think sometimes we think that mentoring will be successful if we get the exact right mentor uh, to walk with us. And yet we diminish what it is that we bring to the table. And so that's one of the first things we ask our students to evaluate is, who are you? And what are those relationships that you have had that have been successful? And what did you bring into that relationship that made it work, that made it flourish, that made it uh, beneficial, not just for you, but for the other that was in that relationship with you? And so we we ask them to evaluate their own mentee skills. Maybe they were effective listeners. Maybe they really rocked it on follow through. Um, Maybe they could value differences with that mentor because obviously a mentor isn't like us. There's someone who's ahead of us in life, has a different experience of life, so we need to learn to value those differences. So the first thing I would say is assess your own strengths and what will you bring into that relationship. Okay, what do you bring into the table? Mm -hmm. Good. Another tip or two. Yeah, I would say if, if you're looking to develop something formal within an organization, you have to start with yourself. So if you are in a position of, of responsibility and authority to bring something to bear, what does your mentored life look like yourself? And how does that kind of bring into the table? How do you bring that to the table and build from there? Um, and if you aren't in a place of 
authority and responsibility to put together a formal program. That doesn't mean you shouldn't or can't try to pursue that and help shape a culture within an organization as you pursue mentors and even pursue being a mentor as opportunities arise. So just being aware of what opportunities are available, it's contextualized. Um, You can't take what we have done at Denver Seminary and just transplant that into your church or organization. There's a discernment process there. Um, But maybe start small and see how that flourishes and expands. We have not just a mentoring program, we talk about a mentoring culture. Yeah, I wanted to follow up Mm -hmm. on that. What do you mean by that phrase, mentoring culture? I'll I'll let Laura (laughs) kick off, because I know this is something you've been here much longer and watched this develop over the years. Um, To jump off that, I'd say the first thing that an organization needs to do is have a goal of building a culture, not just a program. That doesn't say that a program is a bad thing. A program builds culture but just pay attention to the programmatic elements and the culture it's building. Is it really building a mentoring culture? So we have a, we've worked to define what we mean and it's a working def, it's a definition always at, in, in work about what we mean by mentoring culture. But basically it's a way of life of people who've given themselves over to interdependence, to not only teaching, but to learning and growing, uh, to not only be um, offering help, but to being able to be people who receive help so a mentoring culture is a group of people who that's just generally their na- natural way of being. So what are your programmatic elements and how are you going to encourage that in the life of the people in your, in your church, your nonprofit, your, your for-profit? Are you going to be building a culture? And what's necessary for that is I think there's so many books in the field on the act of being a mentor, so many of them. Um, I should have brought those statistics with me because we, we looked at those this summer. Uh, but a very few books are um, about being a mentee and being a learner. And so if you're going to build a program that builds a mentoring culture, you really should focus more on training people to be a learner and a mentee than you are on focusing on training people to be mentors, although that's important too. Yeah, but that's a pretty counterintuitive approach. It's very counterintuitive. And then I would say practicalities of if you want to kill your mentoring program, assign mentors to mentees. <laughs> <laughs> it's just don't do that. It's it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And men, men, mentees have to have some ownership. They need to that, have right? some ownership, mm-hmm. and they need somebody to blame if it doesn't go well. And often the person they should blame is themselves. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the mentor is a bad mentor, yeah. but more often than not, it's it's myself I have to blame okay. if it if it's not going well. And so I the ownership, the, you know, mentoring okay. is it's intentionality and it's it's really best if the intentionality is coming from the mentor and okay. the mentee okay. but it, boy if it's if we're not training and i think go back to your first question of why it's so important today we haven't raised i think a generation of intentional young people mm. and so can we mm. provide a mentoring culture that allows these people to step in and to learn the life of being an intentional person this yeah. uh, my my hunch is that this may peak uh, or tweak uh, a good bit of interest in follow-up. So we, uh, we may set ourselves up for a second conversation on all this. I, I think there's far more to be talked about than our time will allow today. And I, and I want to kind of leave, that, leave the floor open for continuing this conversation or picking it up at another time. Give us quickly um, maybe a couple of the best resources for people who want to read more study a little bit more, learn a little bit more about mentoring in, in an accessible way, not a highly technical way, where would you direct them? What are some of the best resources? I just read a book uh, this past year called Reading Your Life Story by Keith Anderson, uh, which is very, very helpful. 
uh, both for a mentee and a mentor to read. So. Reading your life story? Reading your life story. Okay, mm-hmm. Keith Anderson. Good. Mm-hmm. What else? There's a book that I've had uh, a number of students engage, and I've actually learned from my students who have learned from this resource, but it's called Reclaiming Conversation. And it's uh, it's taking a look at different kind of layers of from the individual to one-on-one to a group, but within this digital age, how do we actually sit with others and have dialogue, have interaction? I don't think it's it's not explicitly about mentoring, but it's a great resource that can be applied to Very the field of mentoring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Another book is when we have students reading TM500. I can't remember the author's name right now. You guys help me. Managers as Mentors. Sounds uh, like Chip Bell. Chip, Chip Bell. Bell. Thank you. Goldsmith. Yeah. Um, that book is, you know, it's a secular book, but uh, boy, it's chock full of really good tips and tidbits about mentoring and being a mentee. So we have students read selective pages out of that. Yeah. Don't let the title um, keep you from reading it. And then, of course, if you are in the field of managing people in an organization, obviously that title is going to draw you to it. But right, right. Um, if you're not, let, let that book speak to you as well. Okay. There's a lot of good tidbits in it. All right, I've got two final questions for each of you. First of all, and and just answer this as, as, as quickly and without a lot of reflection as you can. What is the food that you like the best that is the worst for you? Ice cream. Paddington's pizza. Cake. Okay. I love cake. Okay. I miss cake. <laughs> and that's a you specific. Miss I really want cake. You, like right now? Yes. I wish I could help you with that, but we, we got no cake here. <laughs> and that pizza is nowhere near and there's no Denver, ice cream. And there's no, there's no padding that's here. No. Okay. Well, thankfully there is ice cream. There is. There's always ice cream. There is ice always. Ice cream always there for me. <laughs> there is always ice cream. Okay. If you were not doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? I think you can all answer that question for me. Gardening? Yes. Professional gardener. Yes. (laughs) Dan, what would you be doing? I would be taking pictures somewhere scenic, serene, pretty. Yes. Of my garden. Yes, pictures of my garden. Taking pictures of my backyard garden. (laughs) Deborah, what would you be doing? I would combine hiking with writing and find that ideal cabin somewhere in the middle of nowhere and write something really brilliant. You must all be independently wealthy because <laughs> the things you've chosen that you would be doing don't often pay very well. Mm-mm. Yes, but I'll be doing mine in the new heavens and new earth. Okay, get theological. I think you on guys us. will be doing yours. There will yeah. be yeah. words. Will be there. Yeah. Okay. We will have words. Yeah, there'll be okay. books written and so. Okay. Yeah. All right. You want, once somebody plays the theology card, what am I supposed to say? A conversation stopper. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Laura, Dan, Deborah. We're Thank you. in Thanks, a great Don. conversation. I hope we can pick this up again. Uh, if you would like more information on the uh, training and mentoring curriculum here at Denver Seminary, you can find that on our website. And if you would like to uh, email us at podcast at denverseminary.edu with specific questions, we can probably... Uh, dredge up a few more mentoring resources for you. Uh, This has been Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll check in again for another conversation next week.